go, here we go, here we go again. Chad, what's my weakness? I don't want to say men. <laughs> I set myself up for that one. <laughs> you did. I was like, where are you going with this one? I don't know, man. We're back. I'm excited. It's Howl History Season 2, Episode 1. Chad, welcome back. It's been a couple months. How you doing? Good. 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 It's been a... Uh... It's kind of funny. Maybe we were bad luck as soon as we kind of stopped, took yeah, a break. They turned the whole thing around. Yeah. It's been like all some good basketball. Yeah. We recorded last, or we met to record last on March 18th. And it was a night that they were going to play Phoenix shortly after the All Star break. And at that point, the Wolves were 9 and 31. And they had, I think they recently came off a win over New Orleans, right coming right out of the All Star break. But that was really it. There was no like post All Star break Finch, Boone. There was no. Ant has blown up. D'Lo wasn't back yet. We were just kind of still sitting in the, I don't know how they beat New Orleans twice. New Orleans should be ashamed of themselves because this is a horrible, horrible team setting. And then we finished recording and all of a sudden Ant and Cat both put up 40 in the same game and it's been nothing but gangbusters ever since. I mean, gangbusters is probably a little bit over-exaggerated because they've been 13 and 17 since then, but that's a lot better than 9 and 31. It's better than a lot of teams in the league. I mean, I think I saw it's better than what the Lakers have done in that stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other like teams that are still in the hunt, in the playoff hunt, uh, or at least in the play play in games. So, like, I mean, it's nothing to be. Um, you know, there's it was a lot of quality games too. It's like all of a sudden, in the last week we played like all the garbage teams at the bottom of the yeah, a couple know, of those games, but standings. we also played strong teams as well and. The di- the losses are different than they used to be. Right, We're playing right. everybody close. The game is close until the end. I mean, we had some clutch time losses in the first half of the season, but we also had some just stinkers. We had some blowouts that you just felt embarrassed and ashamed by the team for. And I'm not saying that the last 30 games have been all you know all roses the whole time. You, you know, you had the loss to Oklahoma City. You had the loss to Sacramento. You know, you had a, a loss to Houston for crying out loud. You know, there were a few in there, but. Over the past, I don't know, 15 games, the team has really turned a corner and being competitive against really anybody on the floor. Yep. Yeah. Again tonight, um, the, or, um, the yeah Orlando game the other night, like they did what you expect them to do to an Orlando team that yeah. had eight guys on the bench or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's it feels different for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, so like I said, they're 13 and 17 since you recorded, but there's 15 and 19 since the All-Star break, which would be a team that would be right in the play-in you know, rush right now at the end of the season if they've been healthy the whole year. And even on top of that, since D'Lo came back on April 5th, they've been 10-10 and 10 and 10-8 and 8 when Carl's been in the lineup. And that includes the loss tonight against the Nuggets, which was another competitive game all the way down to the end. Yeah, so, and we're still without Malik Beasley, who right. was our second best player until he went down. For the so. first half of the season through all the injuries, yeah. 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 So they so. still miss shooting. They still don't have the spacing they want. And I'm, I'm not saying that Beasley would help with on the defensive side of the ball. He might even exaggerate that those issues but if you don't have mcdaniels and a kogi and vanderbilt to rotate through on those spots but if you had another guy that could hit those shots it looks a lot different than having a kogi and rubio out there catching those passes and, and actually i actually had have a more optimistic view of beasley's defense if he got more time with finch the way vanderbilt, the way they've been defending yeah yeah vanderbilt was very chaotic but he had a lot of effort Be- beasley had a lot of effort wasn't as effective as vanderbilt earlier but Vanderbilt's gotten more effective. Well, the system is so different. I mean, even Ant has been in a position where just playing that free safety role and moving his feet, even if it's not perfect, he's still doing what he's being asked to do, and that's scrambling. And it's not going to be the top a top ten defense. They don't have the talent for that, and the system isn't in place yet. But it suits their players a lot better. 
Right. And that's what I kind of my point on Beasley is mm-hmm. I, I suspect his defense because he it's, he's not a lazy defender. He's just a chaotic out of position defender. He works his butt off. I mean, maybe more so than anybody on the team other than Vanderbilt and Okogie on defense. He was working that hard because like Jaden McDaniels is weird because he's one of our top two best defenders. But it comes effortlessly for him. You right. don't see him breaking a sweat, scrambling, having to, you know. Re- recover on a guy because he missed this. It's just, he just always knows where to be. He's just got this innate ability to play defense that other guys, even a Joshua Kogi doesn't have. Joshua Kogi is very good when he's one-on-one locked on, but in a team scheme, he can get his matchup mm-hmm. get switched up on him and he can get out of position. Whereas McDaniels is never really in that position. Um, and Beasley would be more like the Okogi or Vanderbilt style. So I think having a, this system with, for Beasley would benefit him, and I think he'd be a much better defender than what we saw. You know, yeah, he wouldn't look so out of place, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if he comes back off the bench once he's healthy again. I, there's a lot of talent on this team, especially in the backcourt, especially if they do get a pick this upcoming offseason, which is not looking super likely at this point with all the wins they've been accumulating. But um, but even without the pick, you have Omaro likely coming over. Right. Here, you so. have a chance to have a, a you know combo guard and Omaro coming over, and that just yep. adds to the list. And I don't know what you do with Ricky, whether or not he's still in the team next year, or if you try to move him so that you can clear clap and possibly add a power forward, which we'll talk about about later in the episode. But uh, we've even though the Timberwolves played a game today against the Nuggets to see you know Cat and Jokic up against each other, and Ant comes out, scores another twenty nine points, and further cements his his case for Rookie of the Year. That wasn't the big Timberwolves news of the day, Chad. We have uh we have new owners. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about <laughs> more so because I just don't like A Rod. I hate you're A Rod's biggest fan, admit it. <laughs> and there's not any Yankees I like, um, or have ever liked. I, I mean, actually I didn't even like A Rod when he was in Seattle, which and Seattle was a team I always liked because I was a big Griffey Jr. fan. But right. um Jay Bune, but, Edgar Martinez, yeah. Tino Martinez, <laughs> Randy Johnson. Man, yep. I love that team. Edgar Martinez, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was a that was a really fun team. Randy Johnson back then. I named back. both those guys, Chad. You're just listing off guys I already named. You went through them pretty fast. I was, <laughs> I'm still trying to keep up. I was a little bit blown out of the water that you even. I didn't know you were the followed baseball that closely. So I was the, like, the Mariners what? and maybe the Giants of the, of that era were probably the only teams beside the Twins that I I would like, have known. Oh, really? Because oh, Bonds were you a Bonds guy? Uh, you know what I had what was it called like world series baseball 96 for my sega saturn and i chose to um play a full season with the giants and i think i'm like a hundred and something games in and i still own that sega saturn and that game in case i ever want to plug it in and finish that season so so i know what that roster is for the giants so him and kent and and whatever you know the the players around him so i think renteria might have been on the team at that time so um but you know those mariners that were that was a fun team i love that team yeah, it was awesome. I I was a huge Griffey fanboy, like from like following and that I followed him before he got into the big leagues. And so, yeah, anyway. I mean, he's the only one left from that area who didn't do steroids. So we, we all got to latch on to Griffey. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, quick podcast plug, there's one called um, what is it? It's American. It's not Savant American. Uh, anyway, it's something yeah. about um, the, on Blue Wire, right? It is on Blue Wire. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah, the, the one that always runs before uh, Dane Moore's podcast. Yes, that's where I hear it. Yeah. I was like, where do I hear it? <laughs> uh, but yeah, they do one of Freddie Adu and then yeah. Griffey. Yeah. I want to listen to that one, but I was going to ask. Do you, you haven't listened to it? No, though? I haven't listened to it yet, no. I'll have to no, that one, one that one looks good. So I'll yeah. listen to that one too. 
<laughs> but anyway, it's not a baseball podcast. <laughs> we got we got our least favorite Mariner and our least favorite Yankee to come in and add some sex appeal to the Timberwolves uh, franchise as the new owner, Alex Rodriguez, partnering up with a uh, former Walmart executive, Mark Lorry. Uh, they're going 50-50 on a $1.5 billion purchase of the Timberwolves and the Lynx. Uh, they're going to spend two years uh, shadowing Glenn Taylor as he closes out his run as primary owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then they'll take over full ownership. The, apparently the deal was just signed today. Uh, credit to The Athletic. I, You know what? I saw it be from a tweet or from an organization that wasn't the athletic before that. So share your thoughts and I'm going to look up who that was so I can credit it properly. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I know the, the fear mongering around town is that they'll move the team. I'm not really that concerned about that at all. My bigger concern, particularly the way that the story broke today was that, you know, normally when you get new owners in, they want to bring in like their own team, their own management team and stuff. And so I was more concerned that we're finally starting to build, some progress to this rebuild up this Rosas plan. And what kind of concerned me was like, Oh, well the initial story this afternoon didn't mention that two, two and a half year, mm-hmm. you know, shadowing um, sort of transition period. And so I was like, Oh great. Is that all the, out of the picture now? And are they just going to come in and bring in their own GM and bring in a new yeah. coach and start everything like, over? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I, this, that's the biggest problem with this franchise since KG was that they don't really see anything through there for different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. we had Rick Adaman had to leave because of his wife's health and stuff. And then Tibbs came and, you know, the whole Jimmy thing blew up. So that didn't last. Well, I mean, it was flip and you went through the flip situation and, yeah, yeah, and that, for a year and then Tibbs and then, yeah, and right. it's just been well, even, musical chairs ever since. Yeah. Rambus. Yeah. You had, you had some other guys too, but, yeah. but um, Dwayne Casey, although KG was here for that, but yeah, it's just like, it's a weird, you want to give them some run. You want to make sure that they get a chance to really show whether or not it works. Right, right. Yeah. And we're seeing, we're finally getting the fruits of all that nonsense that we've dealt with the mm-hmm. last couple of years. And if they come in and they change that, that would be disheartening. Now, hopefully, because they still have this transition period, that that's part of the plan, that they're not going to be making any of those types of moves. And now, this might be a different conversation had, you know, what we just covered about the, the stretch of play that we've seen if this was like a team that was two and 18, the last 20 yeah. games or whatever, we mm-hmm. might not you, care about blowing it up. <laughs> you had to throw the, uh, the plan out the window at that point, because if, if, right. if Carl and Delo had played together for 20 games here and like you said, gone two and 18 or even five and 15, eight and 12, even like, it's still, it's not looking good. 10 and 10, you can say, you know what? They've had 20 games under their belts. They're a 500 team. We know this roster isn't perfect. We've got to shore up our bench and, we have some moves to make, but we, the plan's working. You know, it, it's looking like we wanted it to look. And if we had a full season of this, we'd be where we wanted to be heading into the year. We, that pick that we traded away for D'Angelo Russell wouldn't be as detrimental because we, we'd be, you know, around a 500 team that was fighting for a play-in spot and we'd, you know, it'd be completely different. And um, so, yeah, like you said, it looks a whole lot different now with the success that they've had recently coming in and now that they're going to have this two-year this two-year window to try to you know follow along with Glenn and he'll, he'll probably still be calling the the shots, making the main decisions, and give Rosas two more years. I mean that's as really how long he has anyway on on this plan. And at that point, you're really looking at things have succeeded and we've gone in the right direction, or we're trading Carl anyway. So um, that's going to be about the time where there's a big transition in this team one way or another. 
Yeah, and it'll be interesting because if they if they do agree to stick to the plan, then what is it that you know? My mind, if I'm spending one and a half billion dollars, I want to have some sort of you know mm-hmm. impact Say, on yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, and so what does that look like? Would that you know you won't even have a draft pick that they can weigh in on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> most likely. So you know, is it just will there be more action in terms of trades this off season because? Yeah. You know, even if it doesn't to break the mold around, but like a Ricky, would Ricky be dealt just not so much because of the salary cap, but because of the just to get in some other piece, you know, just so that they can have some sort of say in, in the direction of this and, and be able to say, yeah, say we were part of this rebuild, too. Um, otherwise, if they're just onlookers, then yeah. no, I, I don't like, think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to be much more visible than. Yeah. Um, you know, and the biggest thing they could do is get KG's jersey retired right away, especially now that mm-hmm. this announcement came today, the Hall of Fames on this weekend. Um, so that if they could do something like that, get KG back into the organization, that might still be tricky, you know, yeah, I think during you still the transition. Wait to two years, right? Yeah. But. You know, hopefully they can, you know, Glenn can become less visible and those guys are more the, the, yeah. um, hopefully they're the voice and people. the face of the, of the franchise moving right. forward. Yeah. Right. And Glenn just kind of fades into the background. I don't know if that's Glenn's nature. Not that Glenn's a, you know, hands up, glow hands on. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a glory hog, but he's going to, he'll still be there, especially when he can bring fans back. He'll probably be in the front row for a lot of the games next season, I would anticipate. And mm-hmm. he'll still do the radio interviews. And, you know, he still is going to want credit for like what this turnaround, kind of if there's a turnaround. Yeah. 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 And just keeping the team here all these years and all that kind of stuff too, because he's going to want to make sure that when he does fade away, that his legacy sort of cemented yep. um, the way people look at him. They don't look at him like a pole ad or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what, what they're allowed to do or what allowed is kind of weird. They're an owner, but what it is. I mean, they're still, a, they're a minority owner for two more years though. So right, most right. minority owners don't have any power in terms of decision-making. So we'll see, like you said, we'll see what Glenn allows them to do and how big of a role they're, they're allowed to take. So, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a very interesting couple of years. I mean, it already was going to be with the upcoming offseason being super important for where they go and how all the options and or lack of options they're going to have in terms of roster makeup and decision making. But, you know, with this new ownership group, what's that going to mean? And it, you never know. It could mean a 100 different things and go in a 100 different directions. You know, Houston, they changed owners a few years ago and it gave them they were already on a path. They had the management in place and they they rolled with that and you know, they got to a couple conference finals. They looked like a strong contender every year, but how much of that was momentum from the previous regime and how much was due to Fertitta? And all of a sudden, Maury's out and Fertitta can't keep anything going and they're the worst team in the league. So you never really know if, you know, what what's going to happen and you might not even know the first couple of years. But as long as the Wolves are here, man, we'll keep talking about them. Even if they're not, my, my hunches would still, <laughs> they'll still be my team. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm, what am I going to become a Milwaukee fan? No, no. I mean, yeah. Bulls. I mean, you know, those are the two closest teams proximity wise. I mean, maybe I would start championing my old, like my old Spurs or Utah or somebody like that. But um, we'd be no, free just, agents, but it d- depends on where they go to. If they become the Vegas Wolves, I don't know if I'll cheer for a Vegas team. But if they go back yeah, to that, Seattle, I, I might choose the, the Sonics as my favorite team moving yeah. forward. Yeah, that'd be an easier pill yeah. to swallow. But but on the flip side, all all the games being at like nine o'clock would be a little rough. <laughs> that'd be the worst. I'd have to choose somebody East Coast. Yeah. So no, that, so 
that's the biggest change, the biggest news from today. We're looking forward to seeing where that goes. But now it's finalized, and Glenn finally pulled the trigger. Uh, TBD. TBD on that one. So uh, next up, Chad, I wanted to ask you, when is your apology to Russell Westbrook coming? <laughs> well, do I owe him one? Because I also said that, well, I mean, their team's not like they're showing <laughs> Right? Come America. on. <laughs> he, he, he's, I've always said he puts up a lot of stats. Like, I, mm-hmm. here's the weird thing. It's like I was just texting my brother the night. Every time I read a quote from, from Westbrook, I, I want to like the guy. Right. <laughs> because like, his quotes are hilarious to me. It's like, I just, this is an old one, but it was going around Twitter the other night with a reporter asked him, like, uh, Russell, what, what do you do? Uh, what do you do when you're on uh, non game days? Because I mind my own business and stay out of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I love that. I love that guy. But I mean, I mean I he's, he's very ant-like is what he is. Well, but he's not as jovial. He's no. He's always crabby. He's always know? crabby, but he's always genuine. He's, he's one he's of those guys. He's always genuine, yeah. yeah. But he's, I see, and I would, so I would say he's more like a, um, like, who, who's the pissed off or like a Charles Oakley? He's more like that, you know, sure, <laughs> where, yeah. where you're like, you're not, you know, he's always real, but uh, how real do you want him to be, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's weird, but um, I don't... I'm not a believer in that team if that's what you're getting at. Like I, like Westbrook did that with the the Thunder too, right? Like yeah, and they made the playoffs, and they're going to be in the play in this year, and we'll see if they make the playoffs. And I'm not I'm not saying he's a he's the best player in the league, but I've never been saying he's the best player in the league. But if you took me back a couple of years and you said once again the Wolves have a chance to dump Andrew Wiggins and they can get either Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook because those are two albatross contracts and it's two years ago and everybody wants to get rid of them. At the time, I said do it, take either one of them, and I'd still say do it. Because I mean, I, yeah. if the choice is Andrew Wiggins or Westbrook, I'm taking Westbrook every day of the week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, the Wolves that's... chose not to do that at the time because yeah. they didn't want to ruin the timeline. But yeah, but I mean, I yeah, I would have definitely done that. I mean, and even take it back even further, like if you could have put together like a, a time machine and bring back the perfect guy when we were starving for a second star next to KG would have been Westbrook. Like you, know, I like you have this, yeah, yeah, because KG does all the things that Westbrook doesn't do oh man right? i was the hugest proponent of the wolves trading for alan iverson back when they oh, had KG. for sure yeah i you and i talked about it yeah like, you know um it, every year yeah, once they be- started missing the playoffs it was make the call just get it done put them together let's figure this out the other big one i always wanted for next to kg was Corey mcgetty who's another stylistically a little mm-hmm. bit like westbrook where he's just you know yeah just like this brick house yeah yeah just Driving the lane, like you just get out of the way because the guy's, you know, fearless coming in. I think I championed for trading for Ron Artest, like in his first couple of years of... When he was a bull, the the, the Yeah, no, it was was after he had been at Indiana. So it was after a suspension. So it was kind of like in the the transition period between all their defensive player of the year, Ron Artest, and Meta World Peace. So like... Whenever that period was where it's like, he might not be the same player, but the Wolves haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years and they're wasting KG's prime. So let's make a call and let's figure something out. That's what another guy that I championed going after and just yeah. trying to see what it would happen. I've, I've always been on our test. There was yeah. never a time I didn't like run our test. That's another guy that Westbrook's a little bit like, you know, where he's just a super intense. Mm-hmm. You never know what you're going to get. If you're going to get the, the happy, friendly version or like the right. ass, ass yep. murder version of him. <laughs> <laughs> His name's Meta World Peace, Chad. There's nothing <laughs> negative about him. Yeah, that that name change didn't have anything to do with him trying to affect his <laughs> mental makeup at all. 
He was a goofball, that's for sure. Oh. Uh, any any thoughts heading into the this play-in? Do you like it? Are you excited for the play-in? Do you think it's a good idea for the league? I mean, I, I really like the idea of the play-in. I'm not sure. I get where some of the angst comes from from the players, especially in this. So, yeah, two-part answer. Yes, I love the play-in. Okay. But as a I, fan? I'm not crazy. As a fan, I'm yeah. not crazy about it for for a a compressed season like this, like we've had for COVID. Mm-hmm. We've already we've seen so many guys go down. Um, I I think it would be something that you should introduce going forward. Yeah. But having it on a shorter season where you're playing more games in a week than you ever have previously, I don't think it was a great time to unveil it. You know. Right. Lots of injuries get, this year. Yeah. 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 And. You know, so it's like now we just lost Jalen Brown. So now the Celtics are sort of, you know, done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys like that, which now are going to hurt the rest of the playoffs. Now, who who will we lose? My gut tells me we're going to lose somebody important yep. in one of those bubble games um, just because, you know, there's no there's not a break. I mean, last year there was this big break, right? Mm-hmm. Because we had the lockdown and then we had to play in because there's the guys were resting and stuff. And it was just sort of trying to figure out playoff positioning and trying to make sure they could the league could get all the teams in that they wanted in. Yeah, <laughs> right. Of, yeah. To get Zion into the playoffs. Get Zion into the yeah. playoffs. Um, so, but theoretically, I do think it's kind of cool because it, I think long-term it could get teams out of the tanking mode that we still see, which clearly, you know, you got the Detroits, Orlando's, Cleveland's, yeah. all these teams that are I think really... there are a few teams at the very bottom, but I do think it's it solved the the lack of attention or a lack of urgency or drama heading into the end of the season that we used to feel like i don't know past years it felt like what there were maybe two or three teams that were actually jockeying for position or playing for anything coming down to the end of the year everybody else was either locked in you know either one team was trying to go from the number two seed to the number one seed or somebody was trying to jump from nine to eight and that was really it yeah now it's like you have a race for 10th you have a race for sixth you have a race for fourth you have a race for first like it's just in both conferences, I feel like so every team has something to play for right now, except for the bottom, maybe three teams in each conference, which the Wolves happen to be in at the moment, and they're even trying. Yeah, and take that to next season when you have actual have fans in the stands, yeah. you know, like full arenas, um, and then I think there's even more incentive to play harder for those playing games because now you have your your ticket sales and stuff that you don't really have this year because you're you have limited seating and stuff. So yeah, longer term, I think it's it's awesome. You know, I just this season you already you know I mean, and I don't I'm not feeling bad for the Lakers because I one I don't respect teams that manufacture mm-hmm. franchises by bringing in stars from elsewhere and I mean literally who who's even left? They got Kyle freaking Kuzma is the guy they drafted. I mean, yeah. you know, so I don't feel bad for them that that LeBron's nicked up and Davis is Davis yeah. is always hurt anyway. Yeah. So, um, but anyway. You know, we have lots of teams like that right now, but the, Brooklyn's got guys hurt. Another team that I don't care about because mm-hmm. for the same reasons I don't care about LA. Um, but you would like to see like a team like Boston be rewarded for, you know, they built the right way, but now a guy gets hurt and now their their chance is really hindered. Or Milwaukee, um, you know, they're relatively healthy, but you know, like they're they're one of the few teams left um, that you want to root for because yeah. you know. And, I mean, I think a large hope for the future of the nba rests in the success either this year or next year of a team like milwaukee or utah or denver those are three teams that for the most part built from the ground up drafted their own guys played in 
I mean, even be. Phoenix, yeah, Phoenix did it. You know, they built brought those guys up too, and they did it in non-glamour markets to the point that if yeah. one of those teams succeeds, and not just like plucky team makes it to Western Conference Finals, gets beaten by LA, like that's not going to impress anybody. But actually, like gets to the championship, proves they can build a sustainable winner. Like that's going like, to be the thing like that the Spurs, that, like, the, the like, way the Spurs did, or I mean. Even the way Houston did for the last few years, I know that they made a trade for James Harden, so it's not like they drafted all the all their guys. But for the most part, they did it before Harden was Harden, and it's just you it got well, a team that can Harden, stick around. They in, yeah, they brought in one guy and then very surgically picked guys yeah. to fit around them. Even if they brought them from other teams, they they didn't go and bring three you know all star. Yeah, all NBA talents and put them in there and say, okay, just go out there and play. Right. You know, like, there's no imagination to what LA does. There's no imagination to what Brooklyn does. It's just we're in the it market. Mm-hmm. We have the most money to to spend. You know, let the the payroll be damned. We don't really care because we can afford it. Um, the you know the taxes and all that. So like those teams will never have any soul to them. There's they're never going to have the same. They'll have a lot of Johnny Come Lately fans and just yeah. like the front runner type fans. But they're not ever going to have like the same sort of feeling that like when the Cubs won the world title right. or when Celtics win a world title or somebody like that where it's, you know, like this decades long fandom that results in a, a championship. This is just, you know, this is like your Kardashian version of an NBA team. <laughs> <laughs> they're just plastic. They're, there's nothing of substance there. So I don't. uh I agree. I mean, I think this play-in thing will help some of those those other teams, like a Phoenix did last year. You know, they became sort of the darling last year. Mm-hmm. They were able to to become attractive enough for one key veteran, and yep. Chris Paul, well past his prime, but still a damn good player. Who, I mean, a player that was another team was willing to get rid of. It wasn't right. a multiple times, by the way. It yeah. wasn't like. <laughs> You know, he's had he was flipped twice. You don't you don't take any flack if another team is the one that decided to get rid of the player. Like, right. That's not how it works. It's right. if a team forces his or a player forces his way on your team and or there's a free agent and they only choose you because of the market, whatever that happens to be. And I totally get your point. I think our next episode episode should be characterizing NBA teams as Kardashians or Kardashians. And we should figure out which one is which. So <laughs> I'm really interested to see who you think is Rob Kardashian and we'll go from there. So. Uh, I'll, I'll have to get a good answer for that. Yeah, one. we'll we'll pull that one back uh, next week. Um, not really. We're not going to do that. I don't know any Kardashians, and I don't yeah. care. But I was. I haven't watched. I mean, I know who the Kardashians are. I'll be lying if I didn't say I've seen the show, but I haven't watched it. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know how long, so I don't know who all the players are anymore. But yeah, no, it would be. I think it would be maybe not super important for this year because the ratings like. I don't know if a Phoenix Milwaukee finals isn't getting you the ratings that the league wants for one specific year, but to prove that a team from a market that builds from the ground up can win a championship, even if it's one out of 10 just helps sustain the, t- the league moving forward to the point where there is hope from all from 25 other franchises that there's a way to do it. Right. Right. I mean, you know, and there are good markets in, in small market, good basketball markets in small market cities, right? Yeah. Like Indiana, I always kind of root for them to have a good team mm-hmm. because that's a good basketball city. Um, San Antonio, obviously we, we mentioned um, Utah is another one that they've always been a good basketball city um, and supported that. Um, Memphis is another one that I always want them to have a strong team. Like I don't yeah. ever want to see them at the, in the cellar, you know? Um, so there's a few, those are always the teams I root for. Like I, you know, I, 
we talked about at the top of this episode about A Rod with the Yankees. I couldn't stand the Yankees for the exact same reasons. You know, right. they just bought those teams, and it's like great. It's like what drives me crazy at watching ESPN when they're talking about Dr. Bus being the greatest owner in professional sport. The guy had no imagination. Like there was, you know, he just mm-hmm. acquired the top pieces from around. You know, like yeah, they they drafted Magic Johnson. There was no imagination. To great. I'm yeah. glad Magic played his whole career there, but like. It's not like yeah, there was no choice in that. It was just, yeah. yeah. The Kobe pick or trade, you know, they still traded for Kobe, yeah. but that was their, they chose him, right? They traded Lottie for the, basically on draft night, but then they bring in Shaq. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Okay, right. The, You're the not doing anything if all you have is Kobe. Right. Yeah. Like literally you could pair Shaq with, you know, the star player on almost any team and you're going to the finals. Yeah. You know, even if they're not as good as Kobe, you're going to the final. You might not win however many titles, you know, in a row and yeah. whatever, but you're going to like just Shaq. I mean, he proved it. He was there with Anthony yeah. Hart. You know, he was there with Dwayne Wade. Like that's yeah. just, you know, so I just, that to me is what ruins the league more than anything. It's like when an Anthony Davis, who was the number one pick can go join another number one pick on LeBron James. who's mm-hmm. already one title. You know, it's just like, come on, you know? And of course they don't do it in Cleveland, which fine. If they did it in Cleveland, at least that's a small market team. LeBron's hometown. That went to, made me as angry as like going to LA where it's like, of course that's where all the guys go when they're yeah. in the trailer of their career, they can all join forces. And, and I mean, even that. Cleveland didn't give anybody any hope because the only model that Cleveland followed was have a generational superstar who's top two in the league history, grow up in a town nearby and want to play, win you a championship. Like, yeah. no, you can't plan on that. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't even say like, if we get the right front office and they're smarter than everybody, everybody else, which Everybody wants to convince themselves that their front office is smarter than everybody else, but it's rarely the case. Right. It's just, but you can convince yourself. You can say, maybe that's a plan. Maybe we'll look into the right guy who's going to make the right trade at the right time or the right draft pick or the right free agency signing. And you can at least talk yourself into that. And that's why we do this. That's why we do the podcast. We have blogs. We sit on trade the trade machine all off season. We try to figure out what the moves are going to be. And it's like, at least if you can think about that and plan on it, you can say, you know what? There's hope here. There's a path. You can actually like, there's some logic to it, which is why like, I I love chaos, but only like in transactions and moves. Like I don't like I kind of love the NBA with the results going kind of chalk because it makes me feel like I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm watching and I know what I'm like I've been around long enough to know how this is going to go. And every once in a while when something crazy happens, it's really fun. But if you just get a year where it's like, uh, eh, this team beat this team and this team beat this team and there's no sense to it and all, you know, everything's got th- gets thrown out the window, it's like I don't know. I can't even like pretend to, to know what's happening right now. And it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, that as a fan that, or as somebody who pretends to know what he's talking about, that doesn't make me feel that great. <laughs> well, like, Toronto was another good example. I think that, I mean, yeah, they added Kawhi, but everything else they built pretty organically, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, even Kawhi, they didn't, Kawhi was another one that was sort of forcing his way off of mm-hmm. the Spurs. And Toronto was the team the Spurs chose to deal with. It wasn't like, Toronto was meddling and trying to like they had his buddy there and he was, you know, coming over for that. So like, that's another good example of a smart front office putting together a really compelling team where a star disgruntled star would say, Hey, I have a chance to win there and elevate my brand. If I just go there, even if it's short term, Um, that's another way around that. Right. Like, so I that I like Golden State. I know you hate the Warriors, but to me they were an organic team. Durant 
came. They and, were an organic team. I mean, so Durant yeah. came and pissed in that pool. Yeah, and then he took his ball and went home. But like to me, you know, Steph and Clay and Draymond, all those guys were their guys, and those guys, those guys are the winners. Durant's just the the monkey on their back, like right going along for the ride. I know everybody thinks Durant's like this generation talent. I think the guy is the most overrated player in the league today. I don't think saying he's bad, but to put him on LeBron's level drives me insane. LeBron won a title in freaking Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Durant can't win a title without two more general you know, all-time players. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and even he's he's proven nothing in Brooklyn. He's he's just got two. Two more start. He's got one guy, or you know, two guys at Steph Curry's level. So he's got better complementary players around him now than he did in Golden State. But he's still, to me, he's just like proven. I mean, to me, it's that's going to be Harden's championship there because mm-hmm. he's the well, he's the best player he's on healthy, the team. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. That whole um, team is if he's healthy. Yeah. If Harden's not healthy, they're not winning the title. No. You know, I don't think. So, but anyway, it's you know, like at least with Golden State, they were terrible for a long time. They they get the Steph Curry pick, they get Clay Thompson, they yep. get Draymond Green, they add some other smart players or you know around those guys, Andre Iguodala, guys like that. Yeah. Um, and they win titles, and then they draw another disgruntled star in Kevin Durant, um, and that makes everybody yeah, it ruined it ruined the whole thing. I mean, it, it also like. People became less interested in the Warriors when they brought in Kevin Durant. Yeah, everybody's like, "Oh, well, now I know what's going to happen." Especially, yeah. this is what we have to deal with as as diehard NBA fans, right? Like, you always have your friends who are mm-hmm. NFL fans. Like, oh, well, I can tell you. You just have to watch the last thirty seconds to right. tell you who's going to win the game. It's like, well, duh, you can do that about the NFL too. I mean, come on, genius! Like, yeah. any game that is coming down to the end, you only have to watch the last thirty seconds to find out who wins. That, that, like that means yeah, that's, that's not how it works, right? Yeah, it's so dumb. But um, with the the other thing we always have to hear is like, oh, well, it's all, I can tell you who's going to be in the finals. It's always these two teams mm-hmm. or, you know, it's always one of these four teams or whatever it is. And that's the – there's no parity in the yep. NBA. The only way they get parity is by those those stars migrating around between one of those other four big cities. Right. Just to, you know, whether it's Miami or New York or L.A., you know, um, kind of bouncing around to kind of put a championship in that city. Um so that's the part that I think they got to fix. Like, I don't know how you do that. You know, just put a higher tax on a guy. Now, if, if they're if they're released by their team or the team just chooses after we sign mm-hmm. them, then the team that does take them, there shouldn't be any, you know, tax or anything. But like, you're just you're always going to be this the haves and the have nots in the NBA when you have it. Like, especially with you know, like it's, they play in the middle of the winter. Yeah. No, but none of these guys are going to choose to play in Minnesota in January or choose to play in Ohio in January or Milwaukee in January, you know, they, they have to be enticed there with multiple stars. Well, if it, you have a tough time getting one star there, how are you going to get two or three, you know? Yeah. So it's just, that part has always bugged me about the NBA and, and it's kind of as the older I get, it's changed what I look for with the, the Timberwolves. Like I'm not looking for them to be a title contender because I just don't know that that's ever going to be realistic. They might surprise me some, one of these years, mm-hmm. but I just don't really think it's realistic because what somebody else, like if the Wolves get close, some other team that was also right there with us is going to add one of these other stars in a, in a more desirable right. city. Right. And so then you're like, okay, well, we had a team that was competitive with this other team. Say it's Phoenix, for example, and say we're neck and neck with them. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, um, Anthony Davis now is 34. 
four, and we're going to bring him in for the last couple of years of his career. So now he's going to be our, our second big and, you know, whatever, you know, like they should add these guys. So now, now you're like, how do you compete with that? You can't attract these guys for less money yeah. or so. Um, now, I understand and, that everything has unintended consequences and every decision has ramifications. You know, it's kind of the every action is an equal opposite reaction type thing. But I've always felt like I have the perfect solution to this and it's twofold. First is you have a hard cap. You make it much higher than the current cap, but you make it a hard cap. And then the second is you get rid of maximum contracts. If LeBron wants to make a hundred of the hundred million a year, he can do so. But he, the rest of the team's got to be made around twenty million. You know, it's it's what the NFL does right now, right? Pat Mahomes gets forty five, fifty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, you can pay him whatever you want. You just got to fill out the rest of your roster. Yeah. yeah. Good luck keeping him upright when the offensive line right. can pay anything, which is why they didn't make the Super Bowl this last year, right? Yeah, and NFL has a hard cap too. And I mean, I, I don't understand all of the cap penalties when players leave your team or if you trade a player or renegotiate contracts. Like, I, all that stuff is nonsense to me. But, um, but yeah, I think those two things, especially you bring them over, you say, you know what, LeBron, you're not going to be able to team up with two other stars if you want to make the most money you can make. So you got to choose. And well, if, that, if and these that, guys want to walk out, if, if Durant and Harden and Kyrie all want to walk out and they say, you know what, we still only want to make $30 million. We're going we're gonna to leave $50 million on the table from the Timberwolves. They're going to offer us $80 million to come over there and be a star in the team, but we're going to make 30 because we're going to play together. I say more power to them. I say, you know what? Good for you. And, and theoretically, that would work, right? But then you have Nike or Adidas saying, hey, we want our three guys together. We're like, yeah, you're going to give up $50 million to mm-hmm. the Timberwolves. We'll make it up to you. We'll, we'll give you that yeah. extra $50 million if you three play together. Um, so because what's that worth? If they have if they go on a six championships in a row run or something when LeBron and Durant and you know Harden are are chosen to yeah I still don't whatever. think we've I mean I understand that the numbers are a lot smaller but I don't think we've ever seen anybody do that before like well, we, we have we, we've seen guys sign like one or two year contracts to try to maximize their their flexibility and their availability to continue to make smart decisions moving forward and possibly give up a couple million a year to put the teams together. But we've never seen somebody give up fifteen, twenty million dollars, even even that amount, to play with the right team. Well, I mean, not maybe not in the NBA. We've seen like Tom Brady is giving up a lot of money sure. because again, his wife makes more than he does, mm-hmm. so money's not a big issue to him. We've seen the Yankees. Now they don't have a hard cap in baseball, but the Yankees, because of their TV deals, were able to outspend yep. everybody else. And so, I guess that was a correlation I was making with the NBA is. While there might be a hard cap on the team, if a let's say Seattle gets a team and Nike, because they're in that proximity up in that that region, say, hey, we're going to be sort of your booster for your pro team. We're going to, you know, we're going to pay these guys what they be out. Um, I could see that scenario happening where they don't necessarily the players don't necessarily have to take less. They're going to make it up in their endorsement deals, um, you know, on the condition that they play together with other guys who are also, Mm -hmm. you know the spokes people for the same companies. So that's where I would see it being more, more uh, problematic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is problematic and there's ways to get around it, but the, I think the numbers would get so big when you tried to put those guys on the same team that it would be hard to do. And maybe I'm, like I said, I'm probably totally wrong and I'm sure they've thought about it. And it's probably just the fact that they don't I want, actually, they don't want to do that because it removes the competitive, ba- you know, the, the draw well, to those big, cities right yeah the league i don't think the league really cares that it's working this way i think the league i think the league thinks they know best i actually to be honest if it was a lakers brooklyn 
finals, I probably wouldn't watch it at all. Last year, I wasn't even going to watch finals until Miami made it. And I became, even though I can't stand Jimmy Butler, I was rooting so hard for the Miami Heat last year because I liked that team. Yeah. Because it was a team full of non-stars. I mean, Jimmy Butler is their biggest star, and he's like a tier below all the guys that we're talking about on these other teams. And he was you know, smoking all those teams until he got to L.A. And even that one, you know, like – it just seemed like they tired out. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. just ran out of energy. Well, I mean, with Dragic and Bam going down too, they just didn't right. have the firepower to keep up. That's yeah. right. I mean, yeah. With getting worn down through the, the series. So they had guys getting hurt and everything else. It was kind of like the, the wolves when we played the Lakers back in the, was that? Yeah. Western conference finals mm-hmm. where we had no point guards left. We we're picking up Derek freaking Martin off the <laughs> street. But yeah, it was, um, you know, I so I don't think like your casual fans will watch a finals where they they know LeBron and Durant are competing or something like mm-hmm. that. I think casual fans would rather see because casual fans still know who Giannis is. They still know who, um, you know, the I was going to say Harden, but Harden's now in Brooklyn. But, but they know the other stars outside of like LeBron and and Durant. Um, and so if they could see those guys, like I think people are sort of had it with Steph Curry too. Like, like they're just fatigued by him. Not that they have anything against Steph. Right. But they don't care to see him in it again. But if, um, I think if, like you, you threw out Phoenix and Milwaukee, I actually think more people I know who aren't diehards that would watch the finals regardless would be like, Oh, that's actually kind of interesting. I'd rather watch that than LA and Brooklyn where you have, you know, the six of the 10 best players in the world playing in this game. <laughs> You know, yeah. it, which sounds counterproductive, right? But it's like, it just looks like an all-star game. It just, you know, it's not like, it doesn't come off as competitive because you don't, you don't have any, like the, the fun stories of this guy getting hot, the Craig Hodges of the world, like all of a sudden has like a good run. You don't have those kind of things when you just have two all-star teams playing each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a difference between casual fans and non-team specific NBA fans. Like, I don't know. I'd consider my dad a casual fan. Like he, he likes basketball. He's loved the NBA and he'll watch the games that are on. But at the same time, like he doesn't know anybody past like the top one or two in each roster, you know? So it's just kind of like a, Hey, I've heard of that guy before type of thing. And if, I mean, he'd, he'd watch the finals no matter what, because he doesn't have cable and the finals are going to be on ABC. So that he gets to finally watch those games. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like he, I think, we underestimate the value of people like you tuning in to try to root against a team like the Lakers. Like the league needs heels as much as they need teams to cheer for. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. The, the problem with a Lakers versus Brooklyn is yeah. you got two heels. So you still don't care because it's like, I don't know. I hate both those teams. Yeah. I don't really care. If, you know, I don't care. But who I think we always choose like, even like even in 2016, I considered LeBron on the Cavs and Golden State as both heels heading into the season. I think I thought they were both super teams. LeBron had manufactured his way with Kyrie and Kevin Love, and Golden State had. Uh, this was before Kevin Durant, so they were just the the dominant. We're going to win seventy three games. Nobody can stop us. On you know, unmovable force or immovable object, whatever you want to call them. And I, I, you know, heading into the playoffs, I was like, I don't, I'm going to cheer against both of these teams in the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs. And they got to each other and you choose one. You always choose one. And I, you you get to, to the finals this year. If it's those two teams, LeBron's going to have a lot more fans than he would have if he was playing a non-Brooklyn team because everybody's going to want to see him 
they're going to care more about his legacy and him coming out, especially coming out of like the seventh seed where they're going to be coming out of this year. You know, to well, especially be the if, like David, if Davis is, you know, hurt again and can't yeah, play whatever every game like, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so it's really LeBron carrying team. See, yeah, it's funny you say because in 2016, I was the actual, I mean, I was a Warriors fan at the beginning period because I liked their picks. Mm-hmm. I thought like, oh, they're building this team. They made every draft pick, you know, correctly. They, they've added, every free agent they added was the correct one. I mean, they, they just were super smart how they did it. Steve Kerr, like, was a, had a great scheme. He, he was great at handling the personalities there, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And then Cleveland, yeah, LeBron sort of manufactured it. I mean, Cleveland drafted Kyrie, not expecting yeah. LeBron to come back. And then they traded the number one pick for Kevin Love, which, you know, like, Kevin Love is two or three tiers down from what these other guys were talking right. about. You know what I mean? And so that didn't bother me. And he did it in Cleveland, a team that has never won. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but true. And LeBron got the back a little bit of fanfare when he went to Cleveland, when he made that choice and went there. Yeah, I, but he I had was, more of a problem like, with in Miami. Yeah, he, was, Miami he still was, was a heel from his time in Miami. Like, he had not been completely forgiven by the NBA fan base just by going back to Cleveland. Like, yeah. most teams that he would have played against like he would have been considered the the favorite and people are always going to cheer for the underdog. It was only against Golden State where LeBron became the underdog and all of a sudden people got to cheer for him again and give him that chance. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. I think I, I just as soon as he went back to Cleveland I'm like okay, whatever he does here, mm-hmm. he that he does a lot deserves a lot of credit. I was saying the same thing about LeBron in Miami that yep. I say about Grant in Golden State or in Brooklyn saying, "Hey, Win or lose a championship here means yeah. nothing to me. It right. should, they should have an asterisk by every title that Durant wins on either of those two teams or that LeBron, LeBron won in Miami because you just joined two other all-star players. You did nothing. You didn't earn it. You didn't you didn't do what Jordan had to do through, you know, the to build up his body to be able to, you know, take the abuse from Detroit and yeah. all these kind of things that these other greats had to to compete with. Even Kobe, I gave Kobe zero credit for winning any titles with Shaq. But when he won with Paul Gasol, mm-hmm. hey, I can't, I can't dispute yeah. one at all because Paul Gasol is a step below those other guys. He's a very good player, one of my favorite players in the league at that sure. time sure. before he joined LA. Because <laughs> once anybody goes to LA, I don't like yeah. him. But, in a completely watered down era of the NBA, but yeah, let's go for yeah. it. Yeah, but he's just he still won it, right? Yeah. Water, now, Kevin Garnett didn't win in a watered down era, you know. Like so, yeah. the point being is like we have to give him. Like they they compete with everybody else who didn't win at that time, right? Yeah. No. And so um, I just so for the anyway to to put a bow on that part of it, the the Warriors and Cavs in 2016 for me, I was rooting for both of them, and you're right, I did pull for one or the other, but it was a flip flop between yeah. games. Like it was like um, you know the Cavs take a lead. I'm like, ah, oh, and then I'd be pulling for the Warriors to come back or whatever. Like I looked at them both as I, I agree that LeBron was the underdog, mm-hmm. but LeBron's also Superman battling like a team of villains, you know, in that, if you want to use that right. analogy. Um, so it was like, it was like Draymond was the villain. It's kind of hard to paint a villain on Steph Curry. Cause he's like skinny, littler than everybody else. Like, yep. I mean, it's like, how do you make him a villain? The guy isn't threatening. He just, he's, phenomenal i mean but he's not you know he's he's not this guy that it's hard to look at him as evil <laughs> i just remember being so i don't know so disappointed by stuff in those runs and it was like 
we all talk about like the fact they never won an NBA Finals MVP, and you, there are so many stats about why he should have like his that that his gravity too- and you know made change the whole team and their whole offense was built around him and they wouldn't be able to do anything. And I totally That's get a that story. Like I don't, it's meaningless. Like does anybody really look back and say, "Well, man, for, without Andre Iguodala, they wouldn't have been champ." Like no, like you know he won. I the say MVP. that. I love Andre Iguodala, but you're way more biased about Iguodala than you are, you know, because of your time with the Sixers than than anything else. And the fact that you had somewhat of a friendship hey, with him. He and I are Facebook friends. <laughs> but Steph Curry, far away, was the best player on that team, and it's not. No, I I totally agree. I just remember being disappointed by his ability to rise to the occasion the way you want a superstar to do so. And like he was, a, they were able to scheme Steph Curry out of a series, which, yes, he still made a gigantic impact because he's Steph Curry. But I, I like, and I'm not even saying this is totally rational. I just remember being disappointed because he wasn't able to overcome it to the to a point where he was able to have monster games. He he did it in the way that Kevin Garnett would be schemed out of games when KG was here, when when the national media was saying Kevin Garnett doesn't want to take the last shot, mm-hmm. which was not even a remotely true. It was Kevin Garnett made the right play to every single time. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I saw as Steph Curry doing. Steph Curry, yeah, they schemed him out of the game, which made, for God's sakes, Clay Thompson, who was looked at as a role player coming into the league. Draymond Green was, uh, you know, a late pick. Mm-hmm. He made those guys win a championship, but there wasn't three stars on that team. There no. was one no, star. No, no, I get it. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. what, to me, to me, Steph Curry in this generation has changed the game more than any, more than LeBron, more than Durant, more than Harden. I mean, Harden is like a Steph Curry. He's mm-hmm. sort of become what Steph Curry was. He's, right. you know, they're a little bit different. He, you know, he dribbles more. He, does, you know, but Steph Curry was the model for what James Harden became, in my opinion, in terms of the ball dominant guy that could shoot from anywhere on the court um, and be a one man offense for a 60 win team. And LeBron, that's something LeBron can't do. That's something that Durant can't do. That's, you know, all these other guys haven't been able to do that as one guy on the team. Yeah. Kevin Durant, the, the closest he got was when he still had Westbrook and Harden and Ibaka mm-hmm. and these other guys that were all like Ibaka at that time was on the same level right. as Draymond yep. Green. Um, yep. Westbrook would be arguably be better than Clay Thompson in terms of talent. I mean, I think Clay's a better yeah. team player yeah. and all that. Um, but it's just, I, I can't say enough about how much I respect what Steph Curry's done in this league being a six foot three, hundred and seventy pound. I mean, he's he's Iverson's. He's a little bit taller. Yeah, but he's Iverson's build. Right, and he's doing what Iverson couldn't do. <laughs> like he's winning championships. You know. So hey, I mean, I'm the guy that tweeted at the beginning of the year that if he brought this lazy bum group of guys on the Golden State Warriors to the playoffs, he deserves MVP because there's no talent there around him. The, that roster is just hot garbage. I know Draymond still is Draymond when it comes to facilitating and playing defense, but he can't score. But he, like, yeah, he's not the same Draymond no. he was in their title runs. I mean, defensively, he's probably 90, 95% of what he was, but he's offensively, he's just, he's not the same player. And right. when you got Wiseman out there who just looks like a train wreck and maybe he's going to be great in the future, but he's not contributing to winning at all. And Wiggins and Oubre are your second or third and fourth best players and they don't contribute to winning. It's just... I I think that's a horribly assembled team. And the fact that that's where they've gotten to, even with the clay injury, and they haven't been able to put together anything that could even resemble a contender around Steph at his age 30, 31 season. 
Yeah, but I don't think they're trying this year. I think this is a punt year, and it was always a punt year once Clay went down. So they were like, Yeah, okay. but didn't he go down in training camp? Like, wasn't this the the team that they were going to come into the year with? Yeah, but this team, just having Clay here. Like I mean, they yeah, it makes right. a difference, but yeah. Oh, a huge difference. Yeah. I think that I think this team's, uh, you know, at worst a six seed with Clay Thompson. Sure. Um, and, you know, anything can happen when you get into a playoffs with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson getting hot. So I, I mean, I, that team would have been a matchup nightmare for LA. Like who are you guarding Curry and, and clay with? I mean, sure. They're right in there with every, with all the other contenders in the West because everybody has their flaws, but, but I think they had so many opportunities to do something to make that team even stronger. And I think they've just, ever since Durant came over and they, that started to fizzle out, I think they've made one poor decision after another. And it's just been... if they would have made a move, they would have been mortgaging their future. Because right now they have their pick that they're going to keep now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll have most likely the Wolves pick. Yep. So now they're going to have two top 10 picks to add to Steph and a healthy Clay next year. And likely still have Draymond there unless they trade Draymond. That's well, probably um, one top 10, one, one top 20. Their, well, their pick won't be in the top 10. No, you're right. But it'll probably, yeah, it'll be top 20. Yeah. Um, but regardless, yeah. So they have two first round picks to go with Steph and Clay and and Draymond, and you know they can't get rid of Wiggins. But um, I, I love that they think they can though. That's my favorite yeah. part. I mean, they might they might have to package our pick with it again, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to see. That's the cost but, of getting off of Wiggins. So right. Hey, we've spent way too much time talking about non wolves things. But uh, talking about players who can't be schemed against and maybe one day could battle through and take over a game, how about Anthony Edwards and the run that he's been on since the All-Star break? It's, I mean, tonight was another one of those games that's just so fun to yeah. see. You know, now that a shot is falling and he's, you know, from three, and then he's finishing at the rim in contact better. Mm-hmm, he's doing mm-hmm. what, you know, we jumped on before we started recording what bugs me about Towns is Towns is going in every time looking for the fall. So yeah. he's he's flailing his arms out, just kind of throwing a prayer up, hoping it goes in and getting the and one. Whereas Ant is doing the exact opposite. He's going in trying to make the shot. If he gets the fall, great. If he doesn't get the fall, he doesn't even complain. He just runs back down and plays defense. I wish Cat would play it that way too, because I think Cat would be finishing more at the mm-hmm. rim. I know his Dane pointed out a couple weeks ago or last week or sometime recently that his two point field goal percentage has actually dropped this year, even though all of his other stats have gone up this, this season. Um, but that's part of the reason I think more this year than any other point in his career, he's looking for the and one all the time and looking for the whistle. And I, Ant isn't, and he's just so deliberate at going to the the hoop when he makes that decision that it's paying off because now he's making those and he's getting the whistle because he's building up that reputation of like, yep. That's the guy. He's the and one guy. I mean, he's the Corey Maggette on steroids that I wanted back, you know, to yeah. circle back earlier this episode about pairing him with KG. Ant would have been so fun in KG's prime. Yeah. <laughs> have a guy like that on the floor. Absolutely. I mean, since, since the All-Star break, it's it's over 30 games now. It's more. It's half the season. And he's averaging. I mean, I, I took these numbers uh, before the game tonight. So they've all gone up because he had 29 points uh, and a large number of rebounds and assists tonight, but he's been averaging 23 and a half points, five and a half rebounds and three and a half assists since the all-star break on 45, 35, 75 splits. So the, the shooting numbers aren't like 
50, 40, 90, but how many guys in the league are 50, 40, 90? And the fact that he's putting up 24 points on average efficiency with a huge number of possessions and still carrying it in a way that only certain guys in the league can do the Donovan Mitchells, the Jason Tatums, the, the you know, he's not at the Steph Curry, Zach Levine level of just the, the top, top, you know, offensive players, right. but but, but that he's second, 19. <laughs> yeah, he's 19 years old. He's not even 20 years yet. He's the second youngest player in the league, and he's been an all star for the second half of this season. And it's just right. been insane to watch because well, every night there's something special. You tweeted the other day about his stats comparable to Donovan Mitchell, who was exactly who one of my comments. Oh, no, it was, uh, I tweeted, I think, against about him with Jason Brown or Jalen Brown from Boston because Jalen Brown went out at about 24 points. Um, and five rebounds a game. Somebody else then also did a comp with him on Jay, on uh, Donovan Mitchell, but I was uh, I loved that take because it was um, exactly one of the guys that I, you know, picked as a comp mm-hmm. for Ant mm-hmm. way back you know, at the beginning of the season, and so I like that. But then the other one is you know just looking at him as a 19 year old, and I tweeted about this, and I took flack from some Yahoo. Um, <laughs> But I said, like, has there been any other teenager that has had? A, this was like I'm trying to remember what game it was. Um, I remember this the numbers, but I'm trying to remember who we were playing. Where Anchor took over, had like this crazy, mm-hmm. crazy game. Um, but I was like, you know, has there ever been another, you know, 19 year old that's had a performance like this? And it, there just wasn't. You know, that, that's the the whole point of the thing is that. No, there's only a handful of teenagers you can compare to, right? Because there's only a handful of teenagers that have ever played in the league. Yeah, especially ones that have been been good. Right, right. Yeah. And it's, you know, the KGs. KG's rookie year, he wasn't. Yeah, no, he wasn't K- this. Yeah. Um, Kobe Bryant wasn't the Black Mamba no. as a rookie. He just, I mean, I remember Kobe in the playoffs airballing free throws yeah. in his those early years. Um, I mean, he if, wasn't if, yeah. thinking, if you're talking about teenagers that have done offensively what Ant has done this year, it's LeBron James and Kevin Durant. That's really right. it. And really, the, the the performance I was comparing was, and I was only talking about that one game. I wasn't yeah. even extending it for the whole season. But it was only LeBron is the only guy I even saw a game that was anywhere close to what right. um, Ant had been doing. And... You know, that to me is it's significant in a sense. It's just like the kid is still I mean, like, you know, like you pointed out his stats the last you know stretch since the All-Star break, how good he's been. He's getting better and better again. Like, you know, the rookie of the year. I know LaMelo has been, you know, fun to watch. So I don't think he really affects winning as much as he's getting credit for affecting winning. No, um, because the record was exactly the same, by the way, when he was out as when he was in. And that was also with a Hayward out a lot of those games as well. So, um you know, it's they should have had a worse record than they did without because they didn't even have a Hayward when Lamelo was out and they didn't. But I I think Lamelo still putting up stats to make him you know warrant Rookie of the Year as well. I mean, it feels like it should be one of those years like the was it Jason Kidd and who did uh, Kidd win there? Grant Hill. And, oh yeah, it feels like it should be one of those years because it's kind of hard to differentiate one over the other. Um, in my personal opinion, you know, I but. I don't know how you. I mean, at the end of the day, the rookie of the year means diddly squad. I mean, right, Andrew Wiggins, long term, yeah, yeah, it really doesn't mean much. I, I want it for him. I want him to get it. But, um, you know, other than that, I that's the only reason I want it. Yeah. So I mean, Ant had his top. I mean, we've talked before on this pod about uh, basketball references game score, 
Um, we used it to compare kind of the the top performances from the the Timberwolves of the eighty nine ninety season, and which look at which games were their most impactful. And uh, Ant had his his top game score, and I'll, I'll bet you you'd know which game it was. But it was that Memphis game where he had forty two points on seventeen and twenty two shooting. Yep, that, that was the game. I mean, according to Basketball Reference, and I think we'd all all agree that was his best game of the season. And his, I mean, his scores have been so much higher for the second half of the year than they were for the first half of the year. I mean, he's a completely different player. You never see in-season transitions like this. No, no. And, uh, you know, and, and part of it, I think, is, you know, the opportunity he got because when Beasley went down and Dilo was down, like he became the the second most important player on the squad. Um, but then you also had the coaching change. But that's also stuff that normally disrupts. Yeah. The rails are Right, yeah. Yeah. There's a rookie so, wall. There's any any change. They all of a sudden have to learn a new system. I mean, that's how many times did we hear about Andrew Wiggins complaining that he never had consistency in systems? Like, right. and that's the reason why he wasn't good because he had a new coach every year. Right. Like right. Edwards got a new coach mid season of his rookie year when he had no training camp and no summer league, and it only like he only has gotten better every single year. Like, I, I'm I don't know. This feels a little hyperbolic, but I believe in my heart right now that Anthony Edwards has shown more growth this season mid-year than Andrew Wiggins ever showed between season between any two seasons in his career. I I agree 100%. In fact, I take it one step further. I was actually trying to make a list of where does this rank in all-time Wolves rookie seasons? Yeah. And I have Towns. Yeah. Then I have it, this is where it gets a toss-up. And I know you're not going to like my next rookie season, but Christian Leitner. Sure. I mean Anthony Edwards just passed Christian Leitner for the Wolves record in terms of 20 point games in a season. Okay. So he has 34 now and Leitner had 33. And Leitner was putting up, you know, eight and eight and a half rebounds every night as well. He was Mm -hmm. shooting 47 or 48%. You know, but Leitner was also a four year college player. He wasn't 19 years old. So like, I'm not saying that, and, you know, by that, ranking, that they're comparative. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. in your first KG's year, like six or seven on that list, yeah. right? And he's the best player by a mile this franchise has ever seen. So I have it as Towns, Leitner, Ant, then Marbury, then Wiggins, then Ryder, then KG, and then Kevin Love. Yeah, um, is sort of my my orders um, in terms of how they play just as that rookie season. Obviously, you know, KG goes right to the top of the list. If you're comparing yeah, players. Their I mean, the comparison, at least in terms of what we're looking for out of Ant and what he looks like on this team moving forward has got to be Stephon Marbury, right? I mean, the the hope that he brought to this franchise joining up with Kevin Garnett and what they were able to do that first season, especially the first year and a half that he was here, like that's what Ant is making people feel like. And mm-hmm. everything, you know, crashed and burned with Marbury because all of a sudden he didn't want to be the second highest paid player. He didn't want to all, all, always be the, the beta to Kevin Garnett's alpha, but well, and that would be the one thing I will say in Ant's favor that's even a little bit different is KG, or, uh, when Marbury was here, and you're right, everybody, we had this hope for, but it was always as that duel, mm-hmm. KG and Marbury, right? right? It never felt, at least to me, that Marbury was ever going to be at the same level as KG. Right. Ant, on the other hand, and I didn't think this midway through the season, but now I actually think Ant is going to be, this is going to be his team. Towns is going to become the Marbury. Yeah. To, to Ants KG in this on this team, I really the the way the trajectory is going now, he still has a long way to go to be as good as a all around player as mm-hmm. Carl Anthony Towns, but he's on his way. And then he's got the personality, he's got I mean he's got the it factor. He just he feels different to me 
than even what Marbury did. He feels yeah. more special. Like I've, I am more bullish on Ant being a superstar than I was any other player at this point in their career. Now, obviously KG became a superstar, but I, at his rookie year, it's hard to look at him as like, Oh yeah, he's our next, he's the next big thing. He's yeah. going to be a superstar. I thought he would be a star like seeing him as rookie year, but I, I expected him to be, you know, more like on Towns' level now. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Player. But, I mean, like even looking at like, it's not so much just that he's the best scorer that we've seen as a rookie on the Timberwolves. I mean, the Timberwolves have a long history of good scorers. I mean, we don't have a long history of well-rounded two-way players, but we have a, a long history of good scorers, whether that's Towns or Wiggins or Kevin Love or Doug Zach West. Levine, Doug West, you know, Tony all Campbell. the way back to Tony Campbell. Yeah, in that very first season. It's just we've had scorers on the team. So it's not that Ant is, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of them as a scorer, but they all came in, and even you look at Andrew Wiggins, and he's like, yeah, Andrew Wiggins was rookie of the year. Andrew Wiggins scored 20 points a game. Andrew Wiggins had, you know, should have given us a ton of hope but we never saw Andrew Wiggins contribute to winning. Like, no. and, and we're watching night after night in this first year. I mean, I know it's been half of this first year, but in this first year of Anthony Edwards, not only put up the numbers and put up the stats and be this rookie of the year player, but do it in a way that's contributing to winning. And we have not had a long history of seeing that. No, and in fact, the, all those guys you mentioned, Wiggins, even Leitner, mm-hmm. Doug West, Tony Campbell, when they were prolific scorers for the Wolves, a lot of that was because there was nobody else around them that were competent scorers. Edwards came into a team where you have a generational big man shooter in Carl Anthony Towns. You have D'Lo who can fill it up. You have Beasley who can fill it up. And Ant looked every bit as good offensively as those guys this last 30-plus days. Um, He's been... Like he, he, I feel more comfortable when he has the ball at this point on an offense. Like when it's a half court set, we just need a bucket. Yep. I have more optimism when he has the ball than even when uh, Towns has the ball at this point because because of what we talked about with Towns trying to draw the ball. I'm more worried that he's going to go in and try to force mm-hmm. a whistle and get nothing. He's going to miss a shot and get not get the whistle and then not get back down on defense. And now it's a four point swing because we didn't get the bucket and they did because. Towns came yeah. back lazy. He was arguing with the ref or whatever. Whereas Ant, when he has that dribble, I, I mean, I don't care if he's going to, you know, cross the guy over and then pull up and hit from three. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he's going to get to the corner and just go all the way to the rim on the guy. I, whatever it is, I have more confidence that he's going to make it at this point already as a 19-year-old rookie than I do in Towns, to, you know, at the end of game situations. I mean, there's been a couple games in the stretch. There was one, might have might even been that Memphis game. I think it was a Memphis game where, D'Lo and Cat came back in, and and Ant just really didn't touch the ball much of that fourth quarter. Um, and I I get it. Like I was also the guy earlier in the season saying you have to have a pecking order, and the pecking order has to start with Towns, and then it has yep. to go D'Lo, and then it has to go Beasley. And, and so I I'm I'm for that, and I'm not criticizing the decision that for Ant not getting the ball, but he, I felt more even as a fan watching, especially that game when he was on fire. How are you guys not finding him? You know, um, mm-hmm. just get him in the mix. I think he's earned it over the course of the season to become, you know, get a timeshare with those other top players on this team to close out games because he's not making a lot of mistakes even as a rookie. He's he's making the right plays more often than not. Um, he's just been a joy to watch. I mean, he's just I haven't been this excited about a rookie since probably since Carl Anthony Towns, but 
even this feels like I'm, I feel more because it's, it's at a position now where the NBA is going guard heavy. We finally got that, that attacking yeah. style guy like Wiggins had lots of talent, but part of the thing that we also always complain about with Wiggins is he never like got it in his head to just attack the rim. He well, would Cause he only had one moving and a poor handle. I mean, yeah, yeah. we've seen Edwards just own players and control the game by, by handling the ball in traffic in a way that draws four defenders to, until he can find the right guy open or make a basket himself. I mean, Jim Pete tonight was just raving about Ant's improved decision-making and the fact that he can wait and find his, his, his spot. And what, if they bring a guy, he's making the pass. If they don't bring a guy, he's attacking the rim. He's not taking the bad shots anymore. And he, sure, he still has some games where his shooting efficiency isn't amazing, but He's making the right reads. He's making the right decisions, and he can attack the basket like like nobody else. And that's something we we never saw Wiggins get to. If he attacked, you knew what he's he going to do—a spin move, or he was going to go straight line. And he didn't have a, a counter, and guys could take that away, especially in high leverage situations. Yep, and he brings that energy and that joy to the game that KG brought. Mm-hmm. You know, early in his career, where guys like their games get elevated because even in a tough season where you're not going to make the playoffs and you're going to have a losing record, guys aren't just going through the motions. Like you watch like the Orlando game where guys just weren't really trying or Detroit and you just, and you know, I know they didn't even have their full rosters, but you can just tell those guys were just waiting for the season to get over this Wolves team who had the same record going into that Orlando game as Orlando. The reason why we look so different is because you have like this sense of optimism. And I credit a lot of that to Anthony Edwards because mm-hmm. of, you know, his play. The other one I'll credit it to is Chris Finch. That's one of my other takeaways from this last since the All-Star break is, you know, similar to what I did with Anthony Edwards' rookie season. I was trying to figure out where does Finch rank all-time coaches for the Timberwolves. And if we're not talking after favorites, 40 games, yeah. After 40 games, but I would say the best coach that this franchise has had in terms of a coaching ability was Rick Adelman. Yeah. And after Rick Adelman, I have Chris Finch. I think he feels different than than Flip. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I love Flip as a person. And I, I think Flip was very creative in a lot of things. But I always felt like, boy, when the playoffs come, we're going to be outmatched because Flip's system doesn't, you know, it's, it's always the same system. He's not going to change yep. to you know, address whatever matchup we have or, or whatever. Um, this one feels different. Finch seems to have been able to make adjustments even on defense. He's an offensive minded guy, but mm-hmm. our defense is so much more suited to imp- the talent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they add wrinkles. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not the same defense every game or even the whole game. I mean, they, they will shift things around and kind of, change you know the way they attack things and stuff in it it makes a huge difference and the the guys are buying in which is good um it'll be interesting to see what he does after this year if how much of the staff he he retains if he brings in other guys of his own um just because like they seem to have a good chemistry so it's like yeah on one hand i i it'd be awkward to all of a sudden like bring in a whole new group of guys i'm sure there are a couple guys will still stay but you know, I'll, I'm really looking forward to next season even more because of that, because of Chris, what Chris Finch can do with the whole offseason, right. maybe tinkering with the roster a little bit um, and then giving guys a camp together like Ant um, and D'Lo and Beasley and and Cat and just seeing what that core could do and Jaden McDaniels, who I think is the other big piece of this core going forward. Um, 
I, you know, I, I don't remember the last time I was this optimistic for a Wolves team. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the KG years, I knew they'd be good because the KG was so damn good. Yeah. But I, this talent on this team to me feels better even than the 04 Wolves that KG was sort of carrying a broken down spree well. Sam Cassell was amazing that year. So, he, you know, he was older, but he, that was like, mm-hmm. he was like the Chris Paul going to Phoenix this year. Like he still was like, yeah, yeah. he was turning back the clock a little bit and, and turn that team into a contender. Um, and then Wally and, you know, you had old yeah, Wally and, and Irv old spree and, and yeah, I mean, yep. Hoiberg Trent got the Hassel. Yep. Trent Hassel, sort of your Kogi. I mean, you it, know, was, like, it was a great mix that we underrated heading into the season. We probably still underrate after the season. And the fact that those guys fit together and were more than some of the parts was just really, you know, really special and really unique in what they got out of that team that year. But the the driver was Kevin Garnett and what he yeah. did on the floor. I think yeah. Garnett that year was so dang good. Yep. You put him, you exchange him from any other star on any of the other playoff teams, and he probably wins a title. He yeah. was that good that year. Yep. So, but yeah, super. So I'm super pumped about Chris Finch. Um, you know, I was, I, I didn't know hardly anything about him when they hired him. Um, I, I thought it was a little bit puzzling at the time to, to make the move then because it's like, because I didn't know anything about Chris Finch. I'm like, well, who's really going to be, you know, yeah. Going after him. Right. Hire him. And why not give Ryan the rest of the season? Ryan's a great guy. Yeah. Still think Ryan has a lot of talent as a coach and will be a really good coach. He's just, he was in an impossible situation because you have no experience. The GM has no experience, the you know, in terms of running it himself. The, so then the coach is one of the youngest coaches in the league with no experience. Your players have no experience winning. Your owner has no experience winning. You know, at least with like when Spolstra was handed the keys to Miami, you right. still had Pat Riley in the front office. You know, yeah. like it wasn't like he was, you know, free falling without a shoot. He was, you know, like Ryan was. Ryan was just like, all right, jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, what do you expect I got you? And by the way, he was taking over a franchise that was like poisoned by Tibbs and um, the Jimmy situation, where you know it, that was unfair. So I I felt like give him the rest of the year, but now that we got a head start on next season, yeah, uh, and we got Finch, I'm I'm super pumped. Like I can't think about one of those other coaches that I would have wanted to be in the interview process now that I would actually take over Chris Finch now. And I, you know, at the time Saunders was dismissed, I didn't know enough about Finch where I was like, well, just give it to Vanderpool then who is really right. my number yeah. one. It's when they had Saunders um, or, you know, hire so-and-so, whatever. I, none of the guys that are available are more attractive to me than Chris Finch. No, no. It, it, this position. He's been so good. I mean, like I remember years ago when, Brad Stevens first entered the league and he, they were in the playoffs year after year. And it's like, how many play? you know, I think Stephen A put out like how many NBA players would be drafted before a team took Brad Stevens? Like he's more important than any, like than most franchise players. And I was like, I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Like that's, you can't go that far with a coach because any coach is going to look bad for certain seasons that, you know, if you give him a long enough rope, I mean, Spolstra is probably the only one left in the league and Spolstra and uh, Popovich are probably the only, only two left in the league. Hey, settle down over there that uh, don't have a blemish on their record. Like Stevens even has looked poor and you can't dub a guy the next savior after one or two seasons because there's always going to be something to be something that comes up. But if you ask me, like if you if I include players, coaches and front office staff, how far down I would get before 
choosing Chris Finch as uh, the most important part of the future, I wouldn't get very far. Yeah. It, I mean, it's remarkable. I, you know, and, and maybe it's, it feels more like that for us because mm-hmm. he was sort of an anonymous, like I didn't hear anybody talking about this guy. I'm sure in coaching circles, he's bounced around from yeah one successful team to another. So he's had a hand in all these teams and you could see that the teams he's left, you know, the, when we play those teams like tonight against Denver, what some of those guys, how they come over and you know, that he has a good relationship with them. That's the other thing I like about him. He's a good coach. Like Tibbs is a good coach. Clearly he got the Knicks into the playoffs for God's yep. sakes. Yep. He, first he took a Timberwolves team who hadn't been there since Oh four to the playoffs. And then he gets the Knicks who have maybe yeah, the only had like nine team years more disease. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like, he's a good coach, but he's, he's just a, you know, prick yeah and so like do you really want that kind of guy as your coach even if it means some short-term gain as in winning uh, i would take a guy that's got a little bit more affable personality like uh ryan sanders but now we got kind of both finch Mm -hmm. seems to be a great personality like yeah the guy's engaging with the media yeah he answers all the questions he goes above me and doesn't give you like these arrogant snide responses that some coaches even even pop who i love and i think he's hilarious in those interviews can come off as a jerk sometimes the way he answers certain things. Yep. And Finch isn't that at all. He's Finch always, has yeah. got a he's more of a Steve Kerr personality. Like he's he listens as much as he speaks. He's I know, I, mm-hmm. I just really like I like that aspect of him. I like his X's and O's. There's there's not really any downside to him so far yeah. for me. No, it's been super great. I mean I had a I had a few more things for us tonight, Chad, but we've we've been going for a while. I wanted to get into the power forward situation, what we do with that moving forward, give some McDaniels and Vando some love. Um but I do have, I want to start something new up. I want to give you a, I'm going to come up with a Timberwolves-related trivia question uh, every episode, and I'm going to see how you do it. We'll keep track of your record moving forward. You ready? Okay. All right. So heading into tonight, I want you to name the Wolves' top five scores for the season in terms of points per game and put them in the right order. For this season. For this season. Yep. I will say, I think... Malik Beasley's number one. Towns is number two. Ant number three. D'Lo number four. And geez, this is a big drop off after that. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be number five? Um, Nas Reed. All right. So you got the the correct five players. You put them in the wrong order. Okay. So I'll give you I'll give you half a point for this one. Uh, okay. So Carl's actually number one. He was at almost twenty five points a game. I I, I was good. I, I thought that was the obvious answer. So I'm like, yeah. oh, you're trying to trip me up here because yeah, 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 yeah. expecting that Beasley was gone so long that I would forget. But so the 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 trick. I mean, there were two tricks in this. First was was getting Nas Reed for the fifth the fifth player. He's he's in fifth. He's at eleven point one points per game. So there is a big drop off. And then the second point, the second hard part was that. Beasley, Russell, and Ant are all averaging between 19 and 20 points per game this right. season. I knew they were all kind of lumped together. Yeah. I, well, I, I knew D'Lo and Ant were really close. I, I thought Beasley might have been in that 24, because for a yeah. while there, he yeah. kind of by himself. So I just was thinking he might be around 24. And then with Carl coming back, he started off not with a lot of big scoring nights. Um, then he had a stretch where he was scoring 30-plus almost every night. And then... Lately, it's kind of tailed off again. So I was like, I have no idea where his average is, and I don't. I'm not a stats. I'm not a no, no, no. Boss. I know. Yeah. So I, you know, it's more about like watching and then trying to retain. Like, okay, last however many games. <laughs> All right. So, so like I said, Cats at twenty four point nine heading into the game tonight. Um, 
Beasley was at 19.6, Russell at 19.1, Ant at 19.0, and then Nas at 11.1. So big drop off, but those are the top five. Uh, so we'll put you at half a point. We'll see how you do through season two here, and then we'll we'll see if we want to bring it back. But uh, it's not top one. You have to get. I mean, that's one of those questions on a test when you're in right? school. You because <laughs> if you got one wrong, the yep. whole thing's because yep. like you know, like I hate those. It's kind of a two parter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you want you want a bonus question to to pull it two back together? The other half point, sure. All right. So the Wolves have uh, there are they have the sixth best five-man lineup in the league that's played more than 100 uh, minutes together. They are pl- this lineup is plus 36.1 points per, per possession over for or points per 100 possessions. And the the five lineups ahead of them come from teams like Philly, Dallas, Milwaukee and two Utah lineups. So this is the sixth best five-man lineup in the league by per possession stats. Okay. Name the five players that are in that lineup for the Timberwolves. Cat, D'Lo, yep, Ant, yeah, um, Jaden McDaniels, and Jared Vanderbilt. Hmm. You got four out of the five: Cat, D'Lo, and Ant, obviously. Vando, yes, but Rubio instead of Jaden McDaniels. And I almost went Rubio instead of Vanderbilt, actually. I was just trying to remember, okay, did I don't think Vanderbilt and McDaniels has played that many minutes together. That's mm-hmm. what I was like. They probably haven't done 100 minutes together yeah. to follow on that. But uh, we had that stretch where they were playing. That team was playing so good together when it was yep. Jaden and Vando starting alongside with Cat and D'Lo. And, yeah, and, and I'm assuming almost all of that positive momentum was built off the back of the last two games against Detroit and Orlando when they just yeah. crushed teams. But, but yeah. When they, plus 30. And... Right, yeah. <laughs> So no, which that, is great for the rookie of the year narrative because it really although, is. Yeah, I don't think I don't really even think it's a race because I think national media has already they decided. Yeah, anointed Lamelo, and that's kind of what happens with the rookie of the year awards every year. I think what we could take away from this rookie race is that this draft was not a bad draft like people thought it was going to be. They thought it was going to be one. They thought it was going to be very shallow. They didn't think there was any stars at the top, yeah. and I think it, both of those have proven to be wrong because I think there's a lot of good players that were taken, like a Jaden McDaniel's, mm-hmm. like a Sean Tate, like a Desmond Bain. There's a lot of really good players that came out of this draft that, and then star power between LaMelo and Ant. And um, I just think there's a lot of talent in this draft, a lot more talent than people thought, um, yeah. which makes me worried for, well, maybe not because we won't have a pick, but that maybe next year's draft won't be as good as, or this coming draft, it won't be as good as people are saying. There might be the high end talent at the top of the draft might be better, but I don't know. It's hard. It's, how do you compete with Ant and Lamelo? I, I mean, know. that's you know, I mean, that's they're not, they're going to be some good players. There are good players every year, but there is. I mean, yeah. and and we just had John Zion. Yeah, uh, but after those, I try to think of another tandem that was that electrifying, but um, I can't come up with one off the top of my head. You know? Well, you know what we're going to do next week, Chad? We're going to come back, and before we get into the nineteen ninety ninety one season, we are going to spend a couple episodes taking a look at how the league would be redrafted if every team had to start over in an expansion draft. Who would be the 30 players taken to be the faces of the franchises? And then as we do a snake draft coming back around, who would be the, t- the top two-man tandems for each of those teams? How would, we, how would they draft? How would they put together the, the right players to play together? Uh, we've done this before, uh, a decade ago on old blogs. Um, 
We redrafted the entire NBA, had some fun with it, wasted way too much time emailing back and forth during the workday. Yeah, we did like every story behind every pair. Oh yeah, we we renamed teams. We did ex- we moved teams from one market to another. It was just kind of this is exactly why this player was picked because they fit with this guy for this reason. And sometimes it was just because I hate Change this player. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we 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 really dove into it. We're not going to do as much this time because nobody nobody wants wants that. Nobody has time for that. But. And we're grown-ups now. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a couple hours every Thursday night to, to dive into this. So um, so we're going to come back. We're going to take a look at, uh, in our opinion, how, what order would guys be drafted? Where will LeBron James go at his age? Where will Anthony Edwards go at his age? You know, is, where will Carl Anthony Towns fall? Will they be first-round picks? Will they be second-round picks? You know, where, where do they end up going? And what uh, what do teams end up looking like if, if the whole league had to be reshuffled again? So... We're going to come back next week. We're going to have some fun with it, and we'll we're probably get into some healthy debates about uh, where some of these guys fall. So, uh, Chad, thank you for joining me again. I'm looking forward to Season 2, and it, it's been a blast as always, my friend. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to get back into it. All right. We've got a lot, lot to cover since we haven't talked in several weeks. We sure do. We'll probably, uh, we'll probably have a lot to cover next week, too, and then eventually we'll, we'll narrow it back down into our, our hour-long episodes. But here we go. We're going for it. All right, man. All right. Yep. We'll talk next week. Have a wonderful night. Yeah, take care, man. Bye.